If you turn in your scriptures now to the book of Second Peter, as we look to the Word of God this day, the book of Second Peter, chapter one, and we'll be reading from verses one through eleven. Here, Peter, the Apostle Peter, writes in his concern for the church. This entire book focusing on warning, but here he focuses on character. And Second Peter, chapter one, verses one through eleven. He writes, Simon Peter a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. This morning we're blessed to have a guest, a friend of our church, someone who has come numerous times and that you're familiar with if you've been here before. His name is Doug Nichols. He's a missionary, the founder of Action International, an organization based up in Linwood who is, uh, that, has, uh, that we have served with on a number of uh, occasions. We're very blessed to have him bring the word of God here, and we just want to thank him for that beforehand. I also want to mention and congratulate him and Margaret on their 40th anniversary, and uh, they have been married for 40 years, and uh, I know that they have much to share, uh, and I hope that you'll uh, have an opportunity to fellowship with them uh, later on. I also want to uh, introduce and just uh, mention that uh, the president or the current um, I guess chairman or director of Action International is also here, uh, Nelson Reed and his wife, and we're very blessed to have him. But Doug, if you would come and bring the word, let's uh, we'll give him a warm welcome.
Also, to introduce uh, our good friends Dave and Marie Turgey. They're, they attend our church. We're good friends with them. Uh, Dave and I are in a couple of Bible studies during the week, and Marie is a good friend of uh, Margaret's. Uh, also, my, uh, my favorite nephew is here today, uh, Stevie. Stevie Reed, uh, Nelson and Linda's uh, uh, younger son. But I also have another favorite nephew, the other son, Ben. Uh, he doesn't like me to call him Benji. <laughs> but he's been to you, he's been to me And his uh, dear uh, wife, they were married on July 20 uh, Sarah is here and, and we're so glad that all of you are here with us today Thank you very much The title of my message today from Second Peter chapter 1 verses 1 to 11 Is Building Character in the New Year Building Character in the New Year it's something that all of us should be uh, interested in. Another title that you could give this would be simply uh, from verse 11, where it says, In this way, in other words, if we practice putting all these things into practice that we read in first, uh, second, this first chapter, as you put all these things into practice, it says, For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. So uh, I guess we could call this... You give it another title, How to Be Greeted in Heaven with the Bands Playing, the Flags Flying, and All the Angels Singing. So pay close attention for what an entrance into heaven you could have. You could have if you put these things into practice. We begin our Christian life by faith, not by works, but by faith. By the way, do you mind if I use notes? It's okay if I use notes. Uh, I was speaking in a conference one time in the Philippines. Maybe you've heard this story. And I just arrived in the Philippines at noon that day, and I was speaking that night at a conference for children in crisis workers. And, and I was going through jet lag, and, and I, I was going over my notes before I was speaking, and it was a big banquet. About 300 people were there. And, and I was sitting at the, kind of the uh, main table, and right behind me was a choir. An orphan choir from, from a choir called the Home of Joy. And uh, as, they were, <laughs> as they were standing here, and they had already sung, and they were going to sing again, and kind of standing, waiting their turn, I turned around and looked at them, and my eye caught the eye of one little boy. His name was Rafi, I found out later. A little five-year-old boy reminded me of our adopted son, Robbie, and I was just looking at him, he's looking at me. And pretty soon he just kind of came over next to me, and he's kind of leaning up against me as I was... Sitting here at the table, he's kind of leaning up against me, and he's looking over my shoulder, and he said, What are you doing? And I said, Oh, I'm looking at my notes. He says, Do you use notes when you speak? And I said, Well, yes. And he said, Well, you're not very smart, are you? (laughs) No, I'm not, so I'm using notes today. We begin our Christian life by faith, not by works, but by faith. In verses 1 to 4, look at verses 1 to 4. We see that this faith is in a person, in a power, and in a, and promises. Notice verse 1 and 2. It says, this faith is in a person. Jesus, God, our Savior. This faith is not in a pop star or a political star. Not in a position or even in a political entity. It's in a person, Jesus Christ. This faith, secondly, also involves God's power. Look at verse 3. Peter says his divine power has granted us just a few things. Is that what it says? 
This divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And thirdly, this faith involves God's promises. Does God's promises encourage you? Look at verse 4. It says, Peter calls them God's precious and magnificent promises. There are 7,500 promises in the Bible. For example, Matthew 28, 20 says, I am with you always. John 16, 33 is another promise we may not like. It says, in the world you will have tribulation. We don't like that, do we? That's a promise. In the world you will have difficulties. But, take courage, Jesus said. I have overcome the world. Isn't that a great promise? Did you have a great Christmas? Some of you didn't. Some of you had a lousy Christmas. Your child got sick. Best friend had an accident. Uh, the turkey burned or didn't get done. You know, the people didn't arrive where they were supposed to because of the snow. It wasn't exactly perfect. But, Jesus came into a broken world. That even in those difficulties, the focus is always and should be on who? The Lord Jesus. That even in that difficulty, that problem, that, that circumstance is not comfortable. Jesus came into a broken world. And you can trust him. We begin in faith. Now to faith, we are to add seven qualities of life. Seven characteristics. Add in the context of this passage means to supply generously. In other words, we're working on one of these character qualities as we also work on the others. It's not add like going up the ladder. I take this first and then this one and this one. They're all inclusive in what we work on constantly in our life. Of building character. Add means to supply generously. We are to develop one of these qualities of life as we work on the others. The results, as we see in verse 11, is a glorious entrance into heaven. So let's look at verses 5 to 7. Verse 5 says, Now for this reason also, applying all diligence in your faith or to your faith, Supply or to add moral excellence, that's one. And in your moral excellence of knowledge, and in your knowledge self-control, and in your self-control perseverance, and in your perseverance godliness, and in your godliness brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness love. The first quality we're to add to faith is moral excellence. Verse 5. This is, some translations called virtue. Or goodness. In other words, our life is to reflect the excellent character, the moral excellence, the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to work on producing divine qualities in our life that make us look like Jesus. Peter in Acts describes the Lord Jesus. He said, Jesus who went about doing good. Now, the difference with Jesus and most of us is that we just go about. But Jesus went about doing good. Do people know that you are a person with an excellent moral character? A person who is and who does good? Let me, that's the question. Do they know you as a good person? Or do they just know you as a person who... Just is around every once in a while. Do they know you by the quality of goodness in your life? 
Years ago, I asked our son Robbie why he liked his fiance Deanna. They're married now with three children. But I asked, how you, why do you like Deanna so much? He thought for a moment and he said, Dad, Deanna is so nice to everyone. Deanna is so much like mom. She shares the word of God with me. And then he said this. Deanna is so good to people. Would somebody describe you that way? William McCumber in his editorial entitled Leadership Paradoxes said six things about people. Number one, people are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Love them anyway. Secondly, he said, if you do good, people will accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Do good anyway. The good you do today will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. People favor underdogs, but only follow top dogs, but fight for a few underdogs anyway. People really need help, but may attack you if you do help them. Help them anyway. And then sixthly, he says, give the world the best you have and you'll get kicked in the teeth. But give the world the best you have anyway. You know, so often we do not involve ourselves in helping people, doing kind things to people, good things, because we're afraid of what people may think of us, instead of doing good for the people that we're supposed to be helping. These conclusions about people form an interesting commentary upon the Lord's words, it's more blessed to give than to receive. The value of an action lies not in the response it will receive, but in the quality of the action itself. Doing what is right because it is right and honors God is abundantly worthwhile, whether it's understood, appreciated, or reciprocated. You know, the very word... uh, The passion of Jesus Christ. The passion. The zeal of Jesus in going to the cross. We refer to that as a passion. We we celebrate that at Easter time. But you notice in 2 Peter, excuse me, Titus 2, verses 13 and 14, that when he talks about the passion of Christ, he says the same word, passion and zeal. Listen carefully. Christ Jesus, who gave himself... For us to redeem us for every, from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people of his own possession. Now listen to this. Zealous for good deeds. That's a passion. The same passion that took Christ to the cross is what is used to produce for himself a people, you and me, that have a passion, a zeal for good works. Good people. The majority of the people in the world without the gospel are poor. They need people. They need the gospel. Good news, but also the goodness, the compassion, the care, which is displayed only can be displayed properly by God's people. That's you and me. Years ago, a writer by the name of Anne O'Hare interviewed three world leaders. Hitler, Mussolini... And President Roosevelt. And she asked him three, asked all three the question, how did you get to this place of leadership, to the position that you hold now? Mussolini puffed out his chest as he often did and said, 
Well, I simply came. Hitler got a faraway look in his eye and replied, I was sent. But when she asked Roosevelt how he got to be president, he simply laughed and said, well, somebody had to do it. Let you and I be the somebodies or even the nobodies that have to do it. Let's be the people, God's people, who see what good deeds need to be done and then do them. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify God in heaven. Did you show any good works today? Did you pull out a chair for someone? Did you show them where the washroom was? Did you uh, give them a seat? Did you say hello? Were you kind to them? Did you give them a bulletin? Did you look around to see what needed to be done to care for the other people in the in this church? See, that is... Oh, well, I don't want to do that. People may see me. Exactly! Let people see you. But done in such a way that they may glorify God. I want to be a person like that. Glorify God in heaven. Secondly, to goodness, we're to add knowledge. Verse 5. This is the practical wisdom to know the bad from the good and to flee evil. The cure, by the way, for false knowledge is not less knowledge, but more knowledge. The knowledge in this passage of Scripture refers to the practical knowledge or discernment and refers to the ability to handle life successfully. As Christians, what are we to know in order to handle life successfully? Four things. Number one, we must know the Lord. Peter also says we need to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We grow in grace and knowledge of Christ as we read and study and learn and obey God's Word. That's why we gave you, all of you this morning, through the Bible in one year. This recently arrived from the Philippines. Trust you'll take as many of these as you'd like. Use them yourself and use them, give them to friends. But spend time in the Word of God. Some of you are, are Chinese. There's a great Chinese hero of mine by the evangelist in China in the 1930s and 40s. His name was John Soong, S-U-N-G. Great evangelist. He read in all of his business 11 chapters of the Bible every day. How often do you spend the word of God? My wife years ago went to uh, work with a little, uh, participated in the Bible reading program of a little uh, church that we were helping with in Manila. We had just received uh, some of the first editions of the New International Version Bible. And we just got some copies in the church. I give a copy to the pastor of the church. It's big print. And they decided since the Catholics would always have these uh, at the churches, have these big loudspeakers. And they would chant these various things from the Catholic church. And, and the Muslims would have their call to worship. And, well, they decided, this little pastor decided, he got a big mic, uh, a microphone, put it up, you know, big loudspeaker outside. He decided to read to the community the Bible, all the way through, nonstop. And so they had people like Margaret and others who would come for 15-minute interviews to read. And it went morning <laughs> throughout the night, throughout the day, I mean, the Word of God. How long do you think it took them to read the Bible all the way through? It took exactly three days, 72 hours. If you read the Scripture 20 minutes a day, you could read through the scripture 
throughout uh, in one year. And we say, and we say we have no time. Secondly, we must know ourselves. First Timothy four sixteen says, "Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them." And thirdly, as we to know four things to handle life successfully, we must know right from wrong. Hebrews five fourteen says that we are to grow in the Lord to maturity, mature people, quote, who have their senses discerned, are trained to discern good and evil. You know, you don't exactly know where this verse is in the Bible, or not the quick concept, but your senses have been trained because of your spending so many hours and time in the Word of God and fellowship with God's people and being trained in, in, in the Word of God and the things of God. Your senses are trained to discern good and evil. So instead of saying things like we often do, what's wrong with it in regards to certain activities, perhaps we should ask what's right, what's good about this certain activity. Oh, is this, is this dress modest enough? If, you know, is it, no, you, you're just, that's too revealing. Don't wear that. Don't go to this place. Don't drink this item. Don't, don't participate in this activity. Because it does not reflect God in His glory. No, not no, what's wrong with it, but what's right about it? We have our senses trained. Good and evil. And fourthly, we must learn to, we must obey to learn. This is God's way. As we obey, so we learn. Jesus says, in John seven seventeen, if anyone is willing to do his will, God's will, he will know of the teaching. Hosea 6, 3 says, so let us know, obey, let us press on to know the Lord. As you obey, so God reveals. As you obey, so God reveals. I don't always understand what it meant as, as, as a father, what it meant for my child when I said, children, obey your parents. For this is what you need to do rightly before God. But as that child obeyed, he had even more freedom, more knowledge, more ability to to function in life. Because that taught him how obeying his parents, he obeyed, he he could rock in relation to God, obedience to him. This all means that knowledge is to know God through his word and to use it in life. Being ready to use the word of God in all of life. Thirdly, to to knowledge, we are to add self-control. Verse 6. Self-control. In every aspect of life, of food or clothes, emotions, we need to constantly practice self-control. To control our passions. Philip Messinger in the late 1600s wrote in a play called The Bondman. He wrote the words that we often repeat, but we do not practice. He that would govern others should first be the master of himself. Now, there are three guidelines to controlling self. First, choose your environment. Romans thirteen fourteen says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. Secondly, by sheer act of trust. Trust God for help. Philippians four thirteen says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Trust God to help you through this temptation. 
We need to trust God to give us the strength to control, to put to death the passions of lust, of tobacco, alcohol, position, pride, possessions. To trust God in dealing with anxiety, fear, hatred. Now, don't say, well, that's just the way I am. Remember, God, the I am, sent His Son Jesus to die to save you from your I am. We can trust God. And thirdly, a guideline to controlling self is to counteract the bad with the good. Romans twelve twenty one says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? With good. If you have a problem with uh, slander, gossip, the misuse of your tongue, well then learn to speak a word of encouragement. I am not going to speak evil about this person. And use the and, and, and balance and, and, and use the opposite of that of speaking a word of encouragement instead. If a woman or a man tempts you, give them a gospel booklet and run. If your enemy offends you, what are we to do? What? Bless them. If your husband or wife treats you badly, love and serve them. Do any of you have a perfect husband or a wife? Have they ever missed? Treated you in any way? What is our reaction to that? To fight, argue, resist? Instead of treating and serving them in humility. Years ago in the Philippines, we had a camp for street children from a garbage dump of Metro Manila. And one of the girls converted in that camp who came to faith in Christ, went home after camp, and began to share the gospel with her mother. Now, her mother was known as the most wicked lady in all the garbage dump. I mean, she was foul-mouthed. She was foul-smelling. Filipinos are very, always very clean, but she never took a bath. She didn't care about her appearance. She didn't care about what the, her little shack looked like inside. And nothing was clean. And, and she used to beat her husband when he'd come home at night because the only way he could face her is if he was drunk. And he'd always gamble his money or use it for prostitutes or whatever. And so she's going through his pocket and he wouldn't have any money. So she'd beat him. I mean, what a, what a terrible family. But you know how little girls love their mothers. And this little girl followed her mother around. Doing, oh, Mommy, do you know what I learned at camp? I learned that Jesus loves us. And Mommy, the reason you're so bad is because of sin. The reason you say these bad words because of sin. But Jesus died on the cross for sin. Get away from me. I don't want to listen to that. Did you know, Mommy, that God so loved the world that He gave, He gave Son. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of man. And she shared the gospel. Finally, do you know what happened to Mrs. Gabu? She came to faith in Christ through the gospel. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. Do you hear that? It's not in the way. Maybe she didn't explain the gospel exactly proper. She didn't have the four spiritual laws. Number one, two, three, four. But her mother came to faith in Christ through the gospel. But do you know what Mrs. Gabu did when she... First thing she did when she trusted Christ. What do you the first thing she did? What do you think? Isn't it? It's really interesting. She took a bath. Now, I don't know if it is scripture anywhere. It doesn't say in the scripture, cleanliness is next to God. It doesn't say that. But the first thing she did is take a bath. Cleaned up her little... Little, little shack. When her husband came home that night, 
And he was drunk like he always was. Instead of beating him, she pulls him inside. She gives him a bath. She changes his clothes. She puts him in his bed. She puts him to bed. He wakes up the next morning. Looked around. Didn't know. The place was clean. He did not recognize this place. Where am I? I don't have any bruises on my body from getting... Oh, I feel good. And what's that smelling? The wife, Mrs. Gabu, his wife had, had uh, some, some breakfast cooking for him. And she, he looked at her. He didn't recognize her at first. She was clean. Her hair was combed. She served him. You know, he went to work that day. You know, after work that day, he did not go anywhere else. He came home. He wanted to know what's happening. So he comes home and wife serves him again. And you know, within two or three weeks, he came to faith in Christ as well. If your husband or wife treats you badly, love and serve them. The fourth quality we're to add to faith, the goodness and knowledge and self-control, is perseverance. Verse 6, perseverance. This is steadfastness. True faith endures. In the context of the whole chapter, we see that this perseverance, this patience, comes from faith in the promises of God, the knowledge of Christ, and the experience of His divine power. Why do we have so many quitters these days? When the going gets a little tough. Why is that? I used to really like one of these football players that used to be, he's a Christian, played for the Seattle Seahawks. And, and, uh, but he was a running back, very famous, and he'd run. And, and I always said to Margaret, I said, Margaret, why is it? It seems like somebody just kind of blows on him when he goes through the line and he falls down. It seemed like every time a little whatever, he'd fall. You know, it's okay when the roads are all paved and no snow on them and nobody out there to run and hit me and everything. Life is smooth. But when it got tough, we quit. You started well, but you gave up. Get back in the race. Get back in the battle. Move forward in faith and persevere to the end. The race is not over yet. We're called to reach our generation. And we are not dead yet. Are you listening? A father saved money to send his son to an elite school. But the teenager's son decided to quit school because he couldn't take it. It got too hard. It got too boring. His father tried to convince him to stay with it. He said, son, you can't quit. All the great people you remember in history didn't quit. Abe Lincoln, he didn't quit. Thomas Edison, he didn't quit. Nehru of India and Gandhi, they didn't quit. Douglas MacArthur, the famous general, he didn't quit. Jose Rizal, the hero of the Philippines, he didn't quit. And son, remember Joe Gonzalez. The son interrupted, who is Joe Gonzalez? See, the father replied, you don't remember him because he quit. Perseverance is the ability to endure when circumstances are difficult. Self-control, as we have seen, has to do, now listen carefully, has to do with the pleasures of life, while perseverance has to do with the pressures and problems of life. We must, by faith, let our trials work for us because we know that God is at work in our trials. Remember, Jesus came into a broken world. 
My hero, John Calvin, said, When visited with afflictions, it is of great importance that we should consider it as coming from God and is expressly intended for our good. Did you hear that? Not only comes from God, but is to be used by God for our good. That we might become the people that we should be in Christ. I remember when my stepfather was dying. Miserable death in the hospital in California. And I got there at night and I stayed up all night with my mother as we by his bedside. And holding him is a very agonizing death. And uh, the next morning I'm taking my mother down the hallway after a terrible night with someone's dying in such pain and I'm taking my mother to the to the to the home where she could get some rest while I would come back and be with my father. And as we walk down the hallway, this hospital in California, we're we're very tired. Emotionally we're my mother was just she was just to the end of herself. As we walk down the hallway we approach a little Mexican man Utility man working on a on a plug. He was like a janitor, and he had short sleeve shirt. He had tattoos all over his body. He was an older man, maybe in his fifties or sixties. Had gray hair, and um, he sees us coming, and he he stands up. <clears throat> now this is really amazing story. He stands up. He stops us. I mean, we're walking down the hall like this, you know. Beat up and tired and emotionally distraught and walking down, you know, heart sleepy and walking down. And he stands up and he reaches over and he takes me by the hand and he takes my mother by the hand. And he says to my mother, he says, we're praying for you. There are many Christians who work here on the hospital. And we're praying for you. And then he said to my mother, remember, God is in control. He is sovereign. You can trust Him. Notice that. What is He God is in control. He is sovereign and you can trust Him. Even in this difficult situation, God is God and you can trust Him. You know, as we continued walking down the hallway, I looked at my mom and instead of like this, you know, she's like this. And she says, Doug, who was that man? And I said, I don't know, Mom, but I'm going to find out later. I said, Mom, do you notice something? He could have said, you know, if you prayed more, your, your husband who's 95 years of age, dying of cancer, you know, he wouldn't be sick. If you trusted God more, if you did this and all this stuff, if you prayed this or did this or fasted this or drank this. Or, he didn't do that. He pointed us in this difficult situation to God. You can trust him. You can trust him. By the way, I went to hospital the next day and I found him. A little shy, little Mexican man. He had been out of prison for one year. He had almost served his whole life in prison. Violent man. Came out of prison one day, and a person you would never think would come to faith in Christ. Someone gave him a gospel track as he left the prison. He read it, and God brought him to himself. Isn't that amazing? Psalm 66, 10, 11, and 12 says, For you have tried us, O God. You have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. Are you in kind of a net? Kind of enclosed, you're kind of confined in a situation you don't like being. That husband you gave me, or that wife you gave me, or that mother, that father, or the kids you gave me. You know, you, you have, you're kind of enclosed. God put you there. 
You laid an oppressive burden on our loins. You know, you're, you're sick, you're, you're not feeling well, you don't have the health you should, you thought you should have. You, you, you can't do your abilities or not. God laid that heavy, oppressive burden on your loins. He put it there. You made men right over our heads. You don't have a boss that's really treating you well. People over you are not understanding your needs. We went through fire and we went through water. Listen, yet you brought us out into a place of abundance. And you know, I understand the Hebrew terminology here is that even in the midst of all this difficulty, God brings us to improve. In that situation, to a life of abundance in our trust and faith in God. That's powerful, isn't it? That's encouraging, isn't it? The fifth quality of Jesus we're to add to faith is godliness. Verse 6. Godliness. This is a reverence towards God in a life lived in obedience to Him. Several things here. Godliness requires recognition of God. Psalm 100, verse 3. Know that the Lord Himself is God. Now, I think some of you have a hard time with that. You need to know that God Himself is God. Not you. Nobody else. To recognize that God is the one we worship. Secondly, godliness requires an awareness of God. And His control. Psalm 32, 8 says, The Lord God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And thirdly, godliness demands obedience to God. The example of Jesus who said, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. It's obedience. 1 John 2, 3 says, We know that we love God, belong to God if we keep His commandments. So if I want to see that you are a believer, you know, you stand before God yourself, but if I want to see... I see that you live in obedience to God. This is a good test. Do we keep His commandments? Let me give you an example. Colossians 3, verses 1 to 17. In verse 5, we read of five things to put to death. This is what God tells us to do. Five things to put to death. Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed. Four things that deal with sexual sin... But notice that we, oh man, we, we'll preach about this, we'll deal with this, we'll. But what's that fifth one? Greed. Greed. How are you with your finances? Are you, are you, are you a generous person or a greedy person? No, one of the two. How, how are you with your finances? You, you ever need the day? Are you the first one that reaches in your pocket, tries to do this? Hey, let me take care of that. We hear that about this team going to Gulu. We say, oh, no, not another mission trip. That means I have to give some more money. Or do you say, oh, wow, I wonder how much they need. I wonder how much they I wonder, maybe I got these cars. Maybe I can sell one of them. I got this, whatever. You know, what, what can I do? To, is that the kind of person you are? It also says in Colossians 3, verses 8 and 9, six things to put off. Not only five things to put to death, six things to put off. Have you put these off? Anger. Wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech, lying. All have to do with what? Have to do with the mouth. Have to do with the tongue. Have you dealt with this in your life? 
If anyone love me, let him keep my commandments, Jesus said. The commandment of how you use your tongue. And then we, we notice these eight things to put on. Five things to put to death, six things to put off. Now eight things to put on. What are they? Heart of compassion? Kindness? <laughs> kindness. Kindness. You know, I was speaking in my church recently, and I thought one of the aspects of kindness is, is, is manners. Part of your manners. How are your manners? Because that shows respect and, and kindness to people and how we, how we go about in our various activities of the way we treat people. How are your manners? You know, do you, do you speak kindly to people? Do you open the door for people? Do you have people? Another thing about manners is, excuse me for saying this, is how you dress on certain occasions. It's embarrassing, isn't it? How you dress on certain occasions. What do I mean by this? Taking my, some of you are going to go out and take your wife out to dinner on your 10th anniversary, your 20th anniversary, her birthday, her 40th. And so the wife goes in, you're going to take her over to uh, Arnold's, you're going to have a big steak dinner, or seafood dinner, and everything. She, she's so excited, you're going to take her out to dinner, first time in a whole year. And, and so she goes in, she goes in, and she puts on a nice black dress or red dress and puts on the necklace you gave her. When you said you loved her and, you, and, and all this stuff. And she comes out and she's really dressed up well. And you come out, t-shirt, jeans, and boots. Now, don't, get, don't take wrong here. But respect for your wife would have you, when you say, I'm not comfortable in those clothes. What does that mean when you say that? I am not comfortable. Who, where's the emphasis? On yourself. On yourself. I'm talking about dress today. I'm talking about, do you go about life in respect and kindness and caring for other people? Humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another, forgiving and love. All these things. See, these are commands. This is godliness. Let me briefly go to my last two points. The sixth quality to add to faith is brotherly kindness. Verse 7, this is from the Greek word Philadelphia, which means an affectionate involvement of our lives with others, especially with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Commitment to Jesus Christ means commitment to his people. You know, you know all these, these uh, character qualities kind of overlap, don't they? Overlap with them. Caring for God's people. I mean, you know, when I have any kind of, if we even mention that we have a need at our house, my friend Dave runs over and fixes it. Another friend, Lance. Whatever's need, they're right there. You know, right, right there. If, you know, we've been, I've been working with Nelson Reed for many years, and if there's any hint that our family needs something, there he is. Are you that type of a person? Commitment to Jesus Christ means commitment to His people. First Thessalonians five fourteen and fifteen says, Paul gives instruction to the church in relation to one another. He says, "Are we, and we urge you, brethren, to admonish the unruly." We don't like that aspect, but encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all men, see that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek. After that, which is good for one another and for all men. See that? That's brotherly kindness. That's caring for one another. 
Remember, some of you older people remember that when the ship, the USS Pueblo, was captured by North Korea years ago. Remember that? Thirteen of the crew were put into a room and assigned a chair. In other words, they had a, a chair here, a chair here, thirteen chairs. And they, the, they assigned you. You were assigned. Ben, you're this one. You are this one. This is your chair, not, not the other way around. Signed to the chair. And so they were assigned to the chair. And every day, a soldier would suddenly, suddenly, not at the same time, but suddenly, through, sometime during the day, would burst into the room and take his rifle and beat the person in the first chair. Beat him and beat him and beat him. One day went by, two days went by, three days went by, and everybody realized that this man in the first chair was being beaten to death. And so somebody said, you know, we're going to have to trade with him. What do you mean trade with him? I mean, if, if I'm in that chair, I'm the one that's going to get beat. But some of the other sailors picked him up and moved him over in the second chair, and they sat there, and when the soldier came in, they got the beating. And throughout the fourth day and the fifth day, another sailor would take the chair, fully realizing what was going to happen. They were going to be beaten. When was the last time, in brotherly kindness, you sat in a chair of someone who was suffering? When was the last time you sat there? When was the last time you sat in a chair of pain or of loneliness, of heartache or grief or poverty or helplessness. What is your responsibility to the needs of the world, especially needy Christians? When, when have you sat in a, a, a chair of a, a need of our brothers and sisters who are suffering in Orissa in India? Our brothers and sisters who are suffering in, in, in Nigeria? Our brothers in the Sudan? And the sisters? When's the last time you sat in that chair? You know, just take, for instance, our, our Pastors, Christian workers around the world. Pastors in Cuba make only five to nine dollars a month. When's the last time you reached in your pocket and said, I'm going to support one of those pastors at least for one month? 41,000 untrained pastors in the Philippines. Thousands of pastors in the Philippines make less than twenty dollars monthly. We started a Bible school in Zambia. It's, called, uh, it's going to start this uh, next month, January 10. Going to start, they're going to start 25 pastors. It only costs $700 to support a pastor in Bible school, which supports him and his family for one year for $700. That's less than $60 a month. But you say, you know, I'm not going to sit in one of these chairs. I mean, I may be hurt. I'm too young to give my possessions, I, I, my health, and my life. My, it's not my responsibility. I have a family. I, I can't leave my wife a widow or my, or my children fatherless. 1 John 3.16 says, We know love by this, that Christ laid down His life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. 1 John 3.17 says, But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother... In need and closes his heart against them. How does the love of God abide in him? It doesn't. It doesn't. The seventh point. 
The seventh quality were to add the faith into the other six qualities is Christian love. Verse 7, agape. Let me just say a couple of things about this. Sacrificial action for another person's good. Love. It isn't a song until it's sung. It isn't a bell until it's rung. It isn't love until it's given away. Many years ago, when the Roman Empire was spreading throughout the world, King Tigranes of Armenia was captured by the Roman conquering general. And as he was standing before the conquering general, waiting for the death sentence to be passed, the king, Tigranes, fell on his knees before the general and pleaded for the life of his family. Not for him, but for his family. Do with me what you like, he said, but I beg you to spare my family. The conquering general was so impressed that he re- that with of the love of the king for his first wife, for his wife, that he released the king and his family. As they left, now get the picture. As they left the presence of the general, the king asked his wife what she thought about the general. She simply replied, I never saw him. I never saw him. What do you mean you never saw him? He was standing just a few feet from him. You could not help but see him. What were you looking at? With tears now sparkling in her eyes, the queen gently replied to her beloved husband, I saw no one but you. My eyes only saw the one who was willing to die for me. That's love. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is what God did for us. This is what he wants to do. Us to do. To lay down our lives for others in sacrificial service for others. The world will never believe that God is love unless they see in the lives of his people this kind of love. Jesus says, by this shall others know that you are my disciples, if, if you have love one for another. Let me close. Do you want to be a mature, healthy Christian? You can if you want to. Do you want to be a godly person? You can be a godly person in 2009 if you want to. Do you want to have the seven qualities of a Christian? You can if you want to. Do you desire to glorify Christ and have a glorious entrance into heaven? You can if you want to. You don't have to be a genius or a brilliant mathematician. All you have to do is add. To add only seven Christ-like qualities to your faith. Listen. Listen. Is a band in heaven beginning to assemble for you none of us have long before we enter the gates of glory our life is but a vapor is a marching band of Zion getting ready for your entrance because you have added these qualities to your faith will you be will you have a glorious entrance into heaven will the bands be playing the flags flying and all the angels singing when you arrive or will your Entrance be in a back or a side door. 
Will you be met by a band or just one or two people out of courtesy with one maybe beating a drum with a hole in it and another playing an out of tune violin with one string to have a glorious entrance into heaven? Our lives need to be characterized by faith, trust in God. But added to this faith, seven Christ-like qualities, quality of goodness and knowledge and self-control and Perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and Christian love. It sounds like a lot, but you can count to seven, can't you? You can count to seven. Oh, what an abundance entrance you can have. But as the bands play and the angels sing and the flags wave, even after a glorious entrance, we will all turn to the Lord Jesus. And face the one of glory, Jesus on the throne. We will then bow in love and worship, overcome with a feeling of acceptance in the presence of Christ. And as you are on your knees before Christ, I can imagine an angel slipping up to you, bending over and whispering in your ear, Aren't you glad you can add? Aren't you glad you can add? Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture that points to Jesus. That even our adding, He multiplies. Mercy and grace upon mercy and grace. Father, thank you for such a Savior. Father, may 2009 be a year that we can look back on in 2010, praising you for how you've used us, not in pride but in humility, in simple obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, if you love me, keep my commandments. And Father, as we leave today, may we each of us purposely purposely seek to live lives that are glorifying to you by building into our lives qualities of Christ likeness that you have so vividly outlined for us in Peter in Colossians in Ephesians in Titus and throughout the word of God Father would you work in our lives we can't do it ourselves only through and by the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through our life. Oh God, do this, not for our sake, but for your sake and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.